You're listening to the Andrew Berkshire Podcast, breaking down movies with your host, Andrew Berkshire and Arun Singh. Hi, and welcome to the Andrew Berkshire Podcast. I am here with my good friend, Arun Singh. How you doing, Arun? Uh, uh, Trey Baugh. <laughs> Comment ça va? Well, that was the most Anglo introduction ever. I was uh, I was fluent in French for years, but no, uh, I'm doing really good. I'm excited to chat uh, today because this is a movie I hadn't seen up until uh, like a couple of days ago, and I know that's heresy, but uh, it definitely makes for a very interesting conversation because I won't have watched the movie multiple times, and I know you have very strong feelings about this one. Yeah, I mean, I watched it uh, in. I had to watch it in two parts. Uh, I guess yesterday or yesterday and the day before just because of work and uh, I was worried that this would be a really tough podcast because I wasn't able to take very many notes even on the second viewing because I friggin love this movie and I feel like almost every movie you can think of there's something bad to say about it and I just don't really have it for this one. I I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that's such an explicit love letter to comics and comic history as uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is what we're talking about today. I, I'm so pumped to talk about it. I was so happy to watch it again, and I'm pumped to hear what you think about it. Uh, I will say, uh, much like the way I probably drove some people nuts in Homecoming, uh, I enjoy this movie and I probably would watch it again before I'd watch homecoming again. Um, and I will say in retrospect, having gone through this process with you, I think Spider-Man homecoming is possibly the best superhero movie ever made. I actually have, this is how much I've come around on that movie in terms of like structure. And I don't, in, I don't know that I necessarily enjoy it, which sounds like fence sitting, but I can appreciate the craft. I will say I do I, I I went through an interesting arc on this film and I don't like love it or think it like, or know that it was like the revelation. I think it was built up to be t- for me, but I will say that from a like craft point of view, this movie is a, an incredible achievement. I think it, the, the biggest complaint I have about it is that it has raised the bar so high for an superhero anim- animation in general. I think, <laughs> It is like it's going to be really tough for anybody doing an animated film because this movie was so inventive and creative. And there's a few moments I'll talk about that really I imagine on multiple viewings reward even more because I miss so much. Uh, but there's um, I I really love part of it, and there's another part that I care less about. And you won't be surprised which I think which parts those are. I know you had told me there was a part you thought I'd love and be my favorite part. So I'm curious what you think that is. This movie is an easy 11 out of 10. Like that's not a question. I think it's um. I think it was also built up so much that I watched it with that hype. And I think when I watch it a second time down the road, I'll be able to probably see it differently. So I sound like I didn't like it. I I liked it. I'm not sure I loved it the way you do. Yeah. See, I had all the hype and I expected because of the hype that I was going to be disappointed. And then it just like blew me away completely. And it wasn't even just, it wasn't even like I was watching it and waiting for it to blow me away. Like there's some movies where right at the beginning of the movie you already have like the feels and the intro to this movie by uh, Chris Pine who was playing the Spider-Man in Miles' universe or dimension was just so Spider-Man to me and, yeah. and it so encapsulated everything that I, I was just like, okay, yes, I am in it 100% to the point where like I know – 
that this is supposed to be the ultimate universe. And I never read the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, but I know that that Spider-Man spoiler, obviously, anybody who's listening to this, there's spoilers for this movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Spider-Man is supposed to die, but still, when he died in this movie, I was like, what? Like, I, I was, like, taken aback and, like, you know, a little bit emotional because they make it... It's just, you're not really expecting it in the way that the movie's working. You're expecting something to happen, and then all of a sudden, Spider-Man just gets crushed by Kingpin, and you're like, oh, wow, okay. They just went there right away. That's that's intense. And, and I just thought there were so many key po- points in this movie that just, like, hit you in the Spider-Man feels if you're a fan of the character. Uh, Mary Jane's speech at Spider-Man's funeral is phenomenal. Uh, the messages that... Uh, that they try to portray are so quintessentially like they quintessentially get the character and what it's supposed to be about for the last 50 years. I, I just, I loved it. And, uh, how much did you love the uh, comics code authority sticker on the front of the movie? Oh no, that it, that's fantastic. And I think you hit on the big thing I love about this movie is that it was not afraid to, to do the thing that made the most sense in the movie and not choose just what you could get away with the genre. Like I was shocked that they killed Spider-Man. I was like that. No, that can't wait. What? Like when his mask came off, I'm like, what is happening in this movie right now? First of all, he looks like Ben Riley, who we all know is the greatest Spider-Man of all time. <laughs> uh, for those uneducated, Ben Riley was uh, the clone of Spider-Man who uh, had blonde hair and was named after the uncle, his uncle Ben and Aunt May's maiden name, so Ben Riley, and was also the Scarlet Spider, the best Spider-Man costume. And so, uh, you know, like, that's what you made me think of at first. And I, I was shocked, and I think that was what told me there are no rules. And what I also love is that really ties into, and with the world they created really felt like the Ultimate Comics universe. So just for those people unfamiliar, Miles Morales was created in the Ultimate Comics universe, which was a Marvel, a second Marvel universe launched in the early aughts that allowed Marvel to like relaunch all their characters from start without affecting their, 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 uh, longtime continuity. So, uh, you know, there was a new Peter Parker, the series called ultimate Spider-Man by, by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. And it was a fantastic series. Um, and in the death of Spider-Man storyline, um, and I was at Marvel for this, you know, Spider-Man was killed. Uh, Peter Parker died saving, um, everyone from the Green Goblin and his identity was revealed. And the world is very similar to what Miles came into here. And I really appreciated how much they pulled that great structure from the um, from the Ultimate Universe and and then put their own spin on it, no pun intended. What I really and I like that because I don't think we ever we haven't seen a superhero movie about what comes after the superhero fails, right? And and that's like that is um, uh, that is such a fascinating thing to me. However, uh, this movie did introduce, because of that, my second favorite Caucasian Spider-Man. The first one is Ben Riley. My second favorite of all time is Peter B. Parker, who needs to always stay, as Aunt May said, thick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter B. Parker was great. I, I, I loved, like, man, the characters are so good in this. Like, especially the interaction between Miles and Peter. And I feel like uh, Gwen could have her own movie. I feel like that character yeah. could be flushed out a lot more. I mean, every character in this movie could probably have their own movie. Aunt May could have her own movie. Uh, I really like Lily Tomlin in that role, you know, uh, bur- bursting in while they're like trying to teach Miles how to fight. And she's like, can you make a Tinder profile for your aunt? Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I think my favorite moment with Gwen and one of my favorite movie moments in the film was, uh, 
when they're in the forest after getting away from Liv Octavius. Another great twist I didn't see coming, but in retrospect is so obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she's like, uh, when 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 Miles tells uh, Gwen, I like your I like your haircut. She's like, you don't get to say you like it. And it was like, <laughs> it was such a it was such a smart response because the the cheap version of this would have been she's so charmed by Miles. And of course they fall in love. And so like they, she gets giggly, but like she was a character with her own agency. Um, and you know, one of the things I really did love about this film is it really adhered to the, it really was about great power and great responsibility. I think you mean um, great ability and, and great accountability. Yes. <laughs> there is. Um, but you know, with both of those, you know what, what's also really important to Spider-Man it is a great sense, great sense, fashion like you would find at Atelier Baratin in Montreal <laughs> which when I visit next time will be the first store I visit not just because there are a wonderful sponsor on the podcast but also because ever since you turned me on to their Instagram holy crap they got some real nice clothes there they they seriously do I'm actually wearing a, a Baratin hoodie right now oh, they're suits man like I some of their blazers like I, don't, I wear sports coats mostly at work I wear jeans but some of their sport coats and some of their polos um they look incredible. So legitimately, next time Michelle and my wife and I are in Montreal and we see you and, and Kish, we're definitely, uh, before we get dinner, we're definitely going there first because knowing the way you and I like to have dinner, those will not those clothes will not fit us after dinner. <laughs> so let's get them before we stop at whatever Chuck Hughes place we go to. Oh, man, yeah. Get the measurements done before. A little bit, a little bit more <laughs> flattering. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I mean, it's funny. I was thinking of like, uh, we were joking about thinking about segues, but really fashion and clothing was an important part of this movie. It was like, um, I do think like miles and his shoes and he, how he kept saying it was a choice with his laces and the way he redesigned, he, he uh, painted over, um, spray painted over Spidey's costume and how that, um, that was an expression of who he was. And he created the miles Morales costume. Like, you know, fashion was an important part. All these characters had different costumes and it said something about about each other. So I actually think I want to take a step back and um, just talk a bit about, like, uh, how incredible it is to have this movie really be a Miles Morales movie. It was the big Oscar-winning, the two big Oscar-winning Marvel movies are both black superhero movies. You know, Black Panther won in its categories. But best animated feature is a, a is a is a animated feature about Spider Man that happens to star Miles Morales, who happens to be a black Hispanic uh, uh, Spider Man. And how I just how amazing is it that we're in that world? Like you and I both remember the whole controversy uh, over Kingpin being black in the, in the Affleck Daredevil movie, and that movie has whatever issues it has, and we should definitely do a podcast on that one. But it's uh, it, like people couldn't take Michael Clark Duncan as uh, as that character. And we now are in a situation where we had Miles Morales lead a Spider-Man film in which Peter Parker was killed. And how cool is it that this movie did so well? Like, that's just amazing to me. Yeah. I, I feel like it was, it was so incredibly well done. So like everything that happens in this movie feels so organic. Um, you know, from the transition from I'm the one and only Spider-Man right to Miles Morales yes. singing uh, the theme song of the movie, which is a, a fantastic song by uh, Post Malone, who I'm... And Sway Lee. Yeah, like, I I look at Post Malone, this is like a huge tangent, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And then I hear his music, and I'm like, oh, okay, 
He's actually quite good. <laughs> but he looks he, uh, like a voluntarily homeless person. I don't get it. When I, I was at a, uh, I'm a big John Mayer fan. Uh, and so Michelle and I were at a John Mayer concert at the Forum uh, two years ago here, here in Los Angeles. The Forum is the amphitheater here. And so this guy gets up on stage who looks like he's homeless and lost. And Michelle and I are like, who is this guy? Uh, and John and Mayer and Post Malone did Apologies, I think that's the song, Apologize, whatever that song, and they, they did this duet together, and I was like, oh, this is really cool, and it was, um, that's the first time I ever knew who Post Malone was, I'd heard the name, I mean, I, who I knew, what he knew what he looked like, and it was, he is not what I expected, uh, but it just goes to show you, don't judge a book by its cover, much like with Peter B. Parker, and, um, <laughs> I do think you hit on this. Like, I think the origin stuff in this movie was a true delight, and I think it's what really made the first half of this movie was such a, an emotional roller coaster for me in the best ways. And it's um, that's the part I really uh, glommed onto because the origin stuff was great. Um, as much as I love Chris Pine, and I know there's, and I'm sure you did your internet research. I really wish Toby Maguire had been the first Peter Parker because that was Toby Maguire, Peter Parker. Yeah, I, I feel like I think I read somewhere that they had talked about trying to get him to be to reprise his role at some point but it just didn't work out for some reason but yeah it, I, I love the references to the Raimi films they, they switched it up a little bit I don't know if you noticed but like uh, Mary Jane was the one who was upside down for the kiss yeah and uh, you know things were a little bit smoother I feel like they made out uh, the the Peter Parker of Miles's universe to be quite the efficient superhero like uh, he was like the master of his trade uh, you know, even later in the movie when you meet Aunt May and see his like spider cave with the shadows to like the yeah. little spider jeep that I remember when that toy came out when I was a kid. Yeah. And everyone was like, Why would Spider Man have a car when he can web swing? But I love those little like the little references to Spider Man history, even like the the dumb stuff. But uh I I love that uh, when they introduce the other Spider Mans that they're all in their own different kind of animation. You know, um yeah. Uh, the I forget her name already. I had it written down, but I don't have it anymore. Uh, the young girl, the Japanese girl with the who's like telepathically oh, linked Penny, to her Pe- spider. Penny Parker. Penny Parker. Yes. Uh, yep. She's like drawn in anime, and then you have yeah. Peter Porker, uh, Spider Ham, drawn in like Looney Tunes style, and uh, Spider Man Noir, who like you can actually see the little like uh, comic dots, like the coloring dots of like old oh, comics, yeah. which. I just found the animation of this movie, like, there are times where when it's a lot of action where it can kind of fuzz out a little bit because it's, um, they cut the frame rate down. I don't know if you read about this, but it's, like, down to 24 frames a second so that if you were to pause the movie, there's no frame blur. Like, it's very choppy on purpose in order to uh, create, like, a comic feel, like you're flipping through pages that's constantly moving. So at any frame that you pause this movie, it will be, like, a perfect painted frame so they created the movie digitally and then had actual artists come in and touch up each frame well look i I think that's so that's the thing i want to talk about like where the arc is on this film for me like i think right up until peter and miles go to alchemax like it is probably my favorite superhero movie for that time and not that i hate it after but like what i loved was all like the real and raw emotion and like character stuff and i understand you need you have to get to the action of the spider-man movie i'm not begrudging at that but I really loved um, 
how they set up Miles as a character, what his fears were. Like, I love his silly time is relative joke. And like, mm-hmm. I love that Gwen doesn't think it's funny, but she thinks it's clever. And like, there's that level of nuance and it all felt real and normal and not cloying. And I feel like, and like as much, and like, I, I felt the awkwardness Miles felt when his dad's like, say, I love you. Like over the, uh, <laughs> over the megaphone. And like, it was just, you know, um, that is, uh, it felt and like him just speaking Spanish and they never make a big deal of it, except like he's a biracial Spider-Man. Like those, um, they got the character stuff across so well. Like Miles and Gwen are so Im- immediately charming together. And uh, I, I, they, I can't get over how much I loved it. And, you know, Peter B. Parker was the perfect Spider-Man to put him against because in a weird way, even though he was kind of a loser Spider-Man, he was a grown-up Spider-Man, and we've talked about this before, that I don't tend to like mopey, whiny adult Spider-Man because I feel like he needs perspective. And this Peter B. Parker had a real perspective, and I felt like that character went through stuff, and like he had a really good arc. And I don't know, man, every, everything about that first bit, like the this, this stuff with... I mean, I someone who knows the comics, I knew Aaron Davis was going to be... Uncle Aaron was going to be the Prowler, but it was so heartbreaking because... I think everyone has someone in their family or knows someone who has someone in their family who's like maybe not the best dude or best person, I should say. And, but they're the best like cousin or uncle or aunt or, you know, whatever to you. And like, it kind of, you know that they may not be the best in every way, but they're the best to you. And that's like that duality of identity is such a difficult thing to portray, but they were smart because they didn't show Prowler doing the super bad things that would make us hate Aaron. They just showed us him being scary, which shows a different side to Aaron. I think that's the secret to what they did. Yeah. And I like, I knew that was coming as well. Um, I yeah. accidentally spoiled it for Kashanda cause I thought that she would have remembered <sighs> when I mentioned it to, during homecoming about cause, uh, yeah, he, Aaron Davis is in homecoming, right? He's, uh, yeah, Donald Glover's character. Yeah. Donald Glover's character who was the inspiration for the creation of Miles Morales apparently according to Brian Michael Bendis or part part of the inspiration uh so I I found that super interesting uh I I thought that even though I knew it was coming I didn't think it took anything away from the emotional hit of that like you could the way that they set it up uh Miles is just like crushed you know and I I love the theme music that they gave for Prowler it's terrifying Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. like it feels like a horror movie almost. Like uh, it was, it's so impressive. And I know you mentioned it when we were talking about this movie, uh, just like setting up the podcast. Like the sound design, you loved. Oh yeah, it is. It is at there. The 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 there were there were a couple things. I thought the the music and the 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 scoring to this film was incredible. Uh, and they and the way they integrate that Sway Lee song, Sway Lee Post Malone song, Sunflower. I remember hearing it on iTunes and like, I don't get it. And then I heard it in the movie. I'm like, Oh, I get it. Once you hear it in context, it is perfect. And I thought all the music drops were great. I think I read somewhere that the reason, because if you listen to the song sunflower, it's not really appropriate for miles to be singing it. So I believe I read somewhere that they purposely had him not know the words, that he didn't have to say the words that were inappropriate for a kid his age to be singing about. And, um, and I think it was like, it was, you know, they, the music drops are great, but one thing I really love, and it goes back to the animation is, I love the on-screen sound effects. Like, when mm-hmm. they throw the bagel, it says bagel. Oh, that was so and good. I'm like, yeah, and I, I'm, like, I'm like, oh my God, how much did I miss? Like, I want to watch this movie at half speed just for those special effects, for the sound effects. 
And it's like, like you said, this is a love letter to comics. Like, like that's the part that's undeniable. Like the joy and the, the joy and energy, the creator credits. I got to tell you, as someone who knows comics creators, and I guess technically is a comics creator now, uh, but like seeing your name on the cover of a comic in this movie is such a huge acknowledgement for comic creators. Like Jason Latour is a buddy of mine, and he, you know, him and Robbie Rodriguez and Dan Slott all created Spider Gwen. And like, you know, the Gwen Stacy character here and like Spider-Woman in this and like her, uh, like seeing those names on that cover is amazing. You know, like that, that is that you could tell they went for broke with this film. And I actually will argue as we get talk more about the second half, I think the going for broke part is part of where I felt the film, film got a bit claustrophobic, but it was like, uh, or, or a bit too split up. But like, I actually love that these guys were like, we're just gonna make the best movie we can. Um, we're going to, we love these comics. Let's show them how much we love it and make it completely accessible. And by making it a Miles Morales movie, it meant, it meant you had a point of view character for every situation. So there was a reason to explain it all to him. And that was such a smart decision because in a different world, you would have made Peter B. Parker, the main character, right? Mm -hmm. He would have met Miles and Gwen and then they would have got their movie next. And I think that's a really smart, um, smart, bold choice here. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the other the other one came out I want to talk about too that I love was this is the best Stanley appearance in any movie. Yes. Right? Oh my God, it's the best cameo, and I love yeah. how they it goes like when you when you're watching it and you watch it in context and you know like the end of the movie, especially the second time, and you you see because when he sells him the Spider-Man costume and he says it always fits eventually, and then you shift to later on in the movie when he's in uh, Peter Parker and Aunt May's like hideout. And he's looking in the mm-hmm. reflection at the suit, and the suit's too small. But then when he goes yeah. back after he's like, you know, taking the leap of faith, you see his reflection in the little pod where the suit is, and he, it's actually yeah. fitting. It's like the suit fit eventually. He's ready to be Spider-Man now, and I I just love the symbolism of that, and I love that they they took that quote that it can be interpreted that way as something that's so inspirational and int- interesting and. And so, like, uh, Stan Lee, and they ended up making it, his character in the movie was so sleazy. Like, it wasn't, oh, I know. like that was the best part, because it's like, it, Stan Lee is wonderful, but he is definitely, his whole life was playing a character as well, right? And yeah. there's yeah. the business side of Stan Lee that's not the same as the yeah. lovable, affable Stan Lee. And, and I love that they represented both sides of him in that little cameo and he just had that like you know uh evil grin in a way oh. i i love that oh, cameo yeah. so much oh yeah panning just to like the all sales are final no refunds no returns like yeah that ever. is a that was <laughs> perfect and like stan definitely has that there's definitely controversy around his business practices and there's a lot to a lot as well but i think this movie captured like the duality of that character and it was it was the right use of him. Like, it's just, that's what you want. And it was also really cool that um, in the post credit scene, Stan Lee got to, I was reading this, got to voice J. Jonah Jameson, which was apparently playing Jonah was a life dream of his because the character was based on him in a great deal. So, like, <laughs> him him getting to, like, that's, it's amazing for this to be that film uh, for him. And obviously between this and he had a, he had a great, uh, they had a great um, um, shout out to him and Captain Marvel. We're not going to get into Captain Marvel today. But uh, you know, um, I think they they did right by him there, and like, what a what a way to be remembered in these films, and it's um, it's it's fantastic. I think. Look, I I, I will um, I'm going to pivot to the second half of the film if you don't mind, and just talk about the part that kind of felt a 
where I kind of got disconnected from it. Is that cool? Sure, go for it. Yeah, so like I think for me, like I love when, up to when they go to Alchemax, and, and for me again, being enough of a nerd and having worked in Marvel for what nine, ten years, nine years, um, like it was. Uh, I'm like, okay, so that means Spider-Man 2099 at some point because you got to get Miguel O'Hara now, and of course we get that with Oscar Isaac at the end. But it's uh, it is once like Spider Gwen, Spider Gwen. I know in this movie she's Spider Woman, Spider Woman, Miles Morales. And uh, Peter B. Parker. I keep on to call him Peter Berkshire Parker because in my head I was completing <laughs> that. But Peter Berkshire Parker. Uh, that was all good. And I enjoyed, like, Spider-Ham was used the right way. Uh, you know, Spider-Man Noir was cool. Um, Penny Parker was cool. It just felt like after a point, like, there was... I, I felt like, and obviously I'm the minority on this, I wanted the trio of those characters really and to go through their emotional arcs and I wanted to see what it meant for Gwen to keep seeing these versions of Peter, right? She's seen Peter dead. She comes to another universe and sees Peter dead but older. Now sees Peter alive and like, I, and I can't criticize the movie for not doing what I wanted so it's not a criticism but about my reaction. Like, I wanted more of all that gristle. I wanted a bit more of the uh, Miles-Gwen romance stuff. Not because I needed them to kiss or get together but I, I found their time like their flirting was cute and fun um and that was the stuff i personally wanted and while i enjoyed aspects of all the other characters and they all brought something really special to the film like i never realized i'd be so sad for a japanese spider robot to die um <laughs> but like I it does really like little death that. logos for eyes yeah and like i but i did like it just became so much for me and i was like i being a soap opera guy there was clearly the free off experiences I wanted to go through. Uh, but I think we, I think one, uh, you know what I do want to say is, uh, what do you, what was your, I want to ask you, what was your favorite Peter B. Parker scene? Because I know what mine is and I'm wondering if it's the same as yours. Um, I feel like I'm kind of divided between two. Uh, I okay. really, I really love when he asked to be taught to web swing on the way to Alchemex and they end up on the bus mm-hmm. Because yep. I just love like lazy Peter B. Parker, and also yeah. when they're in the the Spider Man bunker, and he's trying to explain Miles' powers to the other ones, and he's like, he can't do it on command, and he can also <laughs> turn invisible, and he can't do it on command. <laughs> and he was just like uh, trying so hard to be like confident about Miles, and he's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> those were my two favorites. <laughs> Uh, my favorite one is the bread scene with MJ. Oh God, that was so beautiful. Where, was where so he's apolog- pretending to be the waiter. He's apologizing for not getting her all the bread she needs. And he promises he's going to get her the bread. <laughs> and then Gwen's like, you know, we're not getting her the bread. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it's, and again, it's Gwen. It's Haley Steinfeld. is so great. as Gwen in this film, but like, it, it was so funny. Cause it was, it was a great moment to also see the way he portray- portrayed MJ. Who's like, who is this freak who won't leave me alone? Yeah. And it, I just found like that was so incredibly, it, it sounded up why I like Peter B. Parker. Cause he felt so relatable. He's like, he can't not talk to her. And I also liked that in the scene, that was not the scene where they were discovered. Cause normally that would play as a scene where they're discovered. And then yeah. everybody would be yelling at Peter while they're swinging away. And they chose not to do that. And I really loved it. And it also starts with the, it can't be that easy. It is that easy scene where they get into the party and like, I don't know that, that was really great. Uh, what were your favorite moments though? I know you told me you thought you knew what my favorite moment in the movie was going to be, but like, what were your other favorite moments? I, I can't remember now what I thought was going to be your favorite movie moment, but uh, I mean, I just, 
there's so many moments in this movie. On, on rewatching it, I think one of my favorite moments actually was Mary Jane's speech at uh, Peter Parker's funeral. I just I love that idea of you know uh, Stanley and Steve Ditko's through line throughout Spider-Man history that anybody could be Spider-Man. He was just the one who happened to get bit. And, it, you know, he, he accepted that responsibility. It's not a choice to be Spider-Man. You just are. Uh, the, yeah. the, Peter Parker was not special. He was just the person who happened to be there. And he, he, became, he was forced to be special. You know, I, yeah. I love that, the, the everyman quality of it. I love the uh, Spider-Man Christmas album that Chris Pine actually sang. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's just so much to this movie to, to love. I loved... Uh, you know, every line from Peter B. Parker was great. Uh, like, they just knocked that out of the park. I, I love how, even like Spider-Man's death scene at the beginning, I'm jumping all over the place, but it, it was so yeah. interesting that they, they recreated, Miles did the exact same moves at the climax of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, even the villains were pretty well thought out. Uh, you know, Prowler has an arc. Uh, that scene where he, you know, chooses to not hurt miles was heart-wrenching even though you know it's coming and you know as much as kingpin is villainous his motivation in this movie is very human and not like you know taking over the world uh i really like that they made it about his family and that's why he was trying to do this and he was kind of driven mad by you know his own actions causing indirectly the death of his family so uh Everything in this movie is so well thought out from the plot to the characterization to the animation. It's such an achievement. I'm so glad it won the Oscar because, you know, awards only mean so much and and lots of great movies don't win them. But this movie deserved every bit of praise that it got. So what did you not like? Like what moments didn't did anything not ring true? Any moments you didn't like? Like, for example, uh, Kingpin's voice. Oh, I didn't mind Kingpin's voice. I, I, I liked Liv, Liv Schreiber in that role. Uh, oh, one moment that I did love that uh, I didn't mention was at the very yeah. end when uh, Miles and Peter B. Parker kind of swap uh, roles in a way in that you realize that Peter B. Parker, as much as he portrays the confident Spider-Man, is still you know the broken, not confident, normal guy who's just afraid to fuck it all up. And Miles... You know, gives him that confidence boost that, like, you have to try. You know, and I, I love that when he pushed him back in. And uh, I love the uh, I always get up, that being like the defining trait of Spider Man, that he never gives up yep. no matter what the odds are. Man, everything in this movie is so good. Like, there, there were several times in this movie where I'm not ashamed to say that I got like a little teary eyed because they just hit the emotional points so well. Uh, the relationship between Miles and his parents. Um, you know, the, the strained relationship between him and his dad because Miles is a rebellious teenager and his dad's a cop. I, I just was, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. Do you, uh, do you feel like any of that stuff too? Like, I'm almost curious, like, you're a father now. Like, do you think it changes how you view stuff like the, the father-son relationship in this film? Like, I, I, I mean, obviously you're not a cop as far as any of us are aware, but <laughs> is that like, is that some, maybe you're just like deep undercover as a stats guy. But like, is that uh, is is that something you think is colors like your view of those relationships in these films? Oh, absolutely. I, I think getting older can change the way you view things as well. But 
becoming a father, I definitely find I'm much softer, in especially anything mm-hmm. involving kids. Like, I remember the first time I ever saw Pixar's Up, you know, like the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. of that movie, you're like, I'm not crying. But, like, I haven't watched it since I've been a dad because I, I just don't know if I can handle that anymore. But I definitely – there's more things that you watch and, and get emotional about now. Like, um, you've seen Interstellar, right? Yep. Yeah, the the scene where he kind of, like, has to abandon his daughter and she, like, runs out of the house after refusing to say goodbye. That kind oh, of thing. Oh, I never thing. said I finished I – ne- I never said I finished the movie. What, Interstellar? Yeah, no. That's a whole separate podcast. No, I walked out of the theater at 20, 30 minutes into it. Oh, really? Wow. It's one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. Well, I'm a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that movie. But yeah, that very sad. So yeah, definitely that kind of stuff. It, it, it definitely hits harder whenever you're yeah. talking about family dynamics and uh, and kids. It, it's definitely something that uh, you think about a lot more. It, like, it has more... Um, real real life uh impact i guess you could say or like you you understand more whereas when you're not a father or a mother uh you can understand abstractly what it means Mm -hmm. and how the emotions work but like it's just not the same it's like being a pet owner right if you've owned yeah. dogs your whole life and you watch like a, a Marley and Me where the entire plot of the movie is to make you sad because the dog's definitely going to die, you're going to cry mm-hmm. even harder than if you just like dogs but have never had one. I'm convinced part of the reason I love John Wick so much uh, and uh, is just because I have me a cat, uh, cat parent uh, that I see that pet die. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I would do the same thing if I had the abilities and resources and you know, uh, with a fictional character like John Wick. Like, of course I'd go on a murder spree for the people who took my dog. Like, or, you know, like, of course you just kill the per- member of my family. You're dead. Like, <laughs> there's just no, there's no other two ways about this. Um, so like, yeah, I absolutely like, I think, uh, I, 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 you're, I, I'm sure you're right. Like, again, not being a parent, I think that's the part I'm always curious about because, you know, I think for me, the part I'll, I will say just pivoting to this that I really related to and that meant a lot to me is, it's just how important it is to see characters like Miles Morales as normalized in a film like this, and it has nothing to do with his skin color. I mean, obviously the subtext is there, but it was really subtext in this movie. Um, and it wasn't, like, overt. Like, not that there would be anything wrong if the journey was about, like, the black Spider-Man part, because, like, when Wilson Fisk is telling him you're not the real Spider-Man, it has nothing to do with the skin color, right? And um, But it does in the larger sense of, like, identity and am I real? Do I deserve to be this? And I like the way they were able to. They didn't ignore his uh, his the nuances of Miles' identity, um, but they didn't also um, belabor it either. And, and and I'm trying to avoid the vernacular that internet people would use, which they they'd say "shove it down my throat," which is not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying it was so artfully addressed. But like, it is so powerful to see a, a non-white character, biracial character, pull on the Spider-Man mask, and you know, have a female character like Gwen. And, you know, and, and I guess Penny Parker is a, is a uh, non-white character, like be able to pull on these masks, be these characters and, um, and, and it ne- not be questioned in any way. Right. Like that was what I found so um, empowering about this film. And it means I think it, I don't I think it's hard to understand how much that means when you don't get to see yourself in those roles. Like uh, I think uh, and I'm forgetting his name now, who is in Venom, who played the bag at Riz Ahmed. 
you know, he was taught, he talked before about uh, diversity and representation, the difference. And if I'm remembering correctly, diversity is appearing. It's just happening to be there in the background. The representation is being at the forefront. And um, I may be misquoting what he's saying, but that's just the spirit I took from it. And I think that's the thing in this film. You know, you had characters of color in all the Spider-Man films, up, but up till Homecoming, they didn't really have a major role, right? And you can even argue in Homecoming, it really still is white characters for the most part, other than Liz, at the lead, if at all. And I'm not criticizing the film for that. But I'm stating as, as a fact, a dif- point of differentiation for Spider-Verse, which is this movie is unapologetically uh, non-white heavy, and I love that about this film. You know, like, in a weird way, Prowler feels like the big villain in the film. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I and mean, I think Fitz Prowler is, is the emotional villain of the yeah. film, right? It's definitely the... Yeah. The like Miles's personal villain, right? He's almost yeah. like Miles's tormentor. Yeah, and I think that's like, and he is such like the costume design, the way he moves, it's like a rabid animal. Uh, I've actually probably found a better way to phrase that. The way he moves is like, but it is animalistic. Like it is like the way he's running across things, and of course the Prowler costume has like the claws and everything else, but they have him running like a demon right or moving like a he moves like a nightmare that's probably the word look for he moves like a nightmare and the musical cues with the way they've angled the costume so it seems like the edges are literally sharper like and and that's not the way they draw aaron 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 isn't drawn like that but he puts on the costume and everything about him becomes sharper and deadlier yeah he's like super smooth when he's not in the costume and i didn't realize until like uh, the second time watching the movie and after the movie when I was looking at IMDb that uh, Ian, uh, Mahershala Ali plays uh, Aaron Davis in this. Yeah, and then that's like the cast, the cast in this movie is, is ridiculous. It is insane. Oscar, Oscar Isaac is, is Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099. This next movie is going to be so loaded, right? Like, think about all these people, all the great actors you'll get in here. Um uh, playing these roles, and who knows if they get Tobey Maguire? Um, who knows if they get uh, uh, if they get Tom Holland? Who knows if they get you know? Who knows who else they could get? I'm not even thinking about. But that's that is. Um, I, I, I am blown away by the cast they got for the film. I'm blown away by the execution of it. Again, the end of it. Once you get, to, we've talked about this before. Like superhero fights, I generally don't get into. But I will say, like, what this film represents, and here's the hill I will die on. There is no, other than Lee Schreiber's voice as, uh, as Wilson Fisk, which drive, drives me nuts, because as a guy who was a publicist for Daredevil for its first season, uh, and who buys into the, uh, the uh, Vincent D'Onofrio version of Kingpin perfectly, I accept no others. Uh, and I think <laughs> Vincent would be the first one to tell me I'm being a dumbass. But, like, I, I just, like, it threw me off, because I think of Wilson Fisk as more as sounding a certain kind of refined because he puts on those airs. And, uh, I, so that other than that, I, I broke no criticism of this film. Uh, like in that, like I might've wanted something else, but this film is a perfect film. Like, right. I think we can agree on that fact. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I have yet to hear of a single person who watched this movie and didn't enjoy themselves. I think it's like yeah. pretty universally appealing, even to people who don't necessarily yeah. like superhero movies. It's just yep. it can be a great kids movie, great adults movie. It's it's really all things to all people in a lot of ways. And I think that speaks to the power again. It's what Spider Man is supposed to be. Is um, 
you know, it's funny. I was uh, I was at Marvel when uh, when when Miles Morales was created, and that was like it was, um, you know, that was one of the driving forces. Axel Alonso, Bill Bender, the previous editor in chief, had pushed really hard to have a biracial Spider-Man. Um, he's biracial. Um, you know, uh, Brian Michael Bendis has adopted daughters uh, who are black, and uh, he like. Uh, Sana Aminat, who's one of the editors, along with Mark Panicchio. Like, Sana is also the co-creator of Ms. Marvel, and uh, she's of uh, uh, Muslim descent, and she's brown, and, and uh, Mark Panic is what we call the Mark Panicchio's wife. But, like, you had, he was, he was uh, his, his late wife, uh, rest in peace, she was an Asian woman, was, was not white. And, uh, like, I think you had a group of people who were, who were involved in the genesis of this character, and also Joe Casado, who's of Cuban descent. Uh, legendary chief, chief creative officer. Um, you had a bunch of people involved in this who were either not white or uh, were who were married to people who were not white, like or had them in their lives, right? So like, there was a lot of biracial, interracial either marriages or biracial identities or like that went to making Miles Morales and his world. And I think you can see how amazing the inspiration was and how strong that foundation in the comics was because that's really the foundation of the film. And it's, um, and I think it's such a bold choice to have miles parents, both alive in this film, parents, both alive in the film, not die. Cause that would have been the cheap way to go out. And, uh, and, um, to really have the, uh, use the uncle Aaron story in this as powerful as they did. It was just, I think, I don't think we're going to realize how important this movie is for another 10, 12 years. I know that sounds crazy because it won an Oscar, but you're going to have an entire generation who came up and their Spider-Man was Miles Morales from as long as they can remember. Think about how crazy that is, right? And not how just awesome. Black Pan- yeah, and it's not just that, like Black Panther's there, and I want to differentiate this, right? Black Panther's amazing, incredible. I once did a, in grade six, I went to Ontario Provincials and did a speech all in French uh, about diversity in superhero comics, and I was, and I, even then I was a smart ass little kid who had to point out that black Panther was the first black character, but I think it was like, Oh man, it was Luke Cage or Falcon. Who's the first African American character because black Panther isn't African American. Right. And so, uh, and, and it was, um, and those, and those characters are amazing. Those are all amazing characters, but to have a character like Spider-Man be represented as the one a version by a non-white character or a woman or whatever else, um, instead of a traditionally white male version for someone to grow up with that as their standard is going to fundamentally change how they view superheroes and will lead to more superheroes who are created, um, as non-white characters, as non-male characters, perhaps as non-binary characters, as queer characters. And it's going to be, you can already see it now. Like I working in comics, all the kids who were raised on manga, they come in and they don't subscribe to the superhero, uh, 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 all the superhero rules or the standard comic rules. And that's why you have so many comics now that are successful that don't, that would never would have worked 20 years ago because the audience was raised to think comics were superheroes. Like comics and superheroes were synonymous, that comics weren't a medium. And I can, this movie is going to have such a giant effect because it's not going to just be that Black Panther's black. Of course he is. That's what the character is, right? Canonically. But now for them, in their canon, Spider-Man's black and Hispanic, mixed race. Spider-Man is a non-white character. He's not like Spider-Boy, which would, for a number of reasons, be a bad name for the character and legally couldn't be used because that was a different character on Movie Nerd. But like, uh, uh, he's not Spider-Bro or any of those terrible names that 20 years ago 
someone might have chosen. And I'm not pointing at anybody in particular at Marvel, just saying the way the industry goes. It's just the way the zeitgeist was at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, you know, it's like every character in the 70s who's a black character is black something, right? Like, they're black lightning, or they're black ride, black racer, or they're black Goliath. I mean, you're just like, no one meant ill. It's just, but that, like you said, those were the times. And now, and even Black Panther. And now you have, like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a character being called Black Panther, just so we're clear. But having a character who's Spider-Man without qualifiers, that's a statement, man. That is a statement that, like, you know, this is not, it's not black. He's not black Spider-Man. Like, if you tell me, oh, man, yeah, I love the black Spider-Man. He's not black Spider-Man. He's just Spider-Man. Because unless the other guy's white Spider-Man, uh, they're both just Spider-Man, bro. Like, that's just how it works. And that's powerful. And that they're put on equal footing. And, like, I think, you know, having Gwen as Spider-Woman, that's awesome. And, like, I just... Man, I, I, I just, like, that's the part that sticks with me about the importance of this film, and I think the effect is going to be really huge. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm going to say is uh, I think that Insomniac needs to add Peter B. Parker's costume to the game so that I can web-swing around uh, New York City in sweatpants with a gut hanging out. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You need the gut in, uh, in, in the game. I, uh, but as far as I know, the Spider-Verse costume is in the game. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just want the fat gut sticking out. Like, and it's really funny, and that's what's what I found so funny about it, too, like, uh, the way they were kind of shaming him, body shaming, I mean, I guess you could call it body shaming, but, like, the way they were pointing at him, it didn't feel mean to me. Um, like, no one said, because I think because they didn't make him, like, quote-unquote fat and useless, and I don't think fat should be a pejorative, by the way, I think fat's a descriptor. But like that, it usually when people say fat, it's meant as a pejorative, and the word and the phrase like "and useless" is attached to it, or fat and stupid, or fat and lazy. And he was like, he had an emotional thing he was dealing with, and like I thought they dealt with that fairly honestly, right? Like he, yeah. he there was no per- permission structure created for him just to be mopey. He had to, he had to own it, right? Like that's what they all had to do. I, and I love that flashback too, where he was like, I was, and I handled it like a champ, and it's him crying in the shower yeah. in the Spider-Man suit. <laughs> and it, and he's like, you know, I was working out in the apartment, and then he's like eating the pizza. And like, remember when Liv Octavius is pointing at him? She's like, it must be the dimensional transition. He's like, yeah, yep, that's it, that's it. It was all firm before. <laughs> and like, it, it's just like I love, I I love that part of it. I also, by the way, love the little thing that Gwen is clearly the most capable spider person in the whole film. Like, when she swings in in the forest, at least that's how I read it. Like. Peter and like Miles are kind of fumbling around and Gwen just comes in, beats up everybody, gets what they need and like moves on with everything. Like they're having to keep up with her. And I thought that was a cool little thing that no one ever made a big deal of. Again, the characters just were like, yeah, she's, she's awesome. She's got this great. Yeah. She was like in her prime, figuring it out. Yeah. 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 She was kind of on the same level as uh, the Peter Parker who died at the beginning. Yep. Exactly. Who just seemed so smooth and in control until all of a sudden he was (laughs) crushed. Which, yeah, that I, was brutal, dude. It, it was, was brutal, so but brutal. like handled so well. Like they take you out of it so quickly, you're not left. Like um, I was reading today, actually, it was there were some emails that were leaked in like the old uh, Sony leak from back in the day yeah. that uh, had some emails from the head of Marvel to the people in charge of Amazing Spider-Man Two after the script was submitted, and he was like, "No." this is not good. No, don't do this. And all of the changes that he suggested were, spoiler, not listened to. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, they went ahead with exactly I, I, what they were supposed, what they were going to do. But yeah, so anyway, I was reading that and I was thinking about like how grim uh, Gwen Stacy's death was in that movie and how like unnecessary it felt. But you didn't get that feeling in this movie with uh, with Peter Parker. Just it didn't have that grimness to it. It it was sad and it was devastating, but it didn't have that like needlessness to it, and it wasn't um yeah i don't know it just didn't feel as uh psychotic sociopathic like there there was just so little meaning to gwen stacy's death in that second movie not to harp on it because we've already reviewed it but uh, (laughs) it, it just felt like this peter parker death was earned it was for a purpose there was emotional connection behind it there was like that connection that he had with miles morales i love the moment when he like sees him and they get that little like spider sense vibe and he's like oh you're like me i thought i was the only one actually that is i actually think one of the most important things in this movie is they all meet each other and there's an equality when they say you're like me yeah i think that's like i think that is what what you're hitting on in this film is that i know you and connor love uh game of thrones and i watch it with my wife i'll say that but it's uh i find game of thrones really like cynical and a bit nihilistic and that's not a criticism it's just why i don't respond well to it i'm the cw soap daytime soap guy right like that's me and i think this movie um it was everything was pushing towards something emotional and positive like even peter dying he was not like crying or broken he and it led to all those great scenes and it didn't it didn't rest on it for too long like there who's a Who's who's the torturing guy I really hate who tortured uh, the kid from John Wick? Dion, who tortured him? Oh, um, Ramsey. Ramsey Bolton. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers, guys. Yeah. There was no Ramsey Bolton in this thing, right? And we didn't see Ramsey torture people for seasons upon seasons, I've been told. None of that had to happen. Like, Kingpin wasn't, like, wasn't torturing people in the film. And I think that helped because the moments of darkness felt like moments and not um, minutes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and or forever. And so, the the I you're like me. There's something so pure about that because I actually think it's how like uh, it's gonna sound. This sound really cheesy, Andrew, but I do feel like you and I have a bit of that, right? Like you and I started talking on what like Twitter. Like that's how we yeah. knew each other. I was tweeting at you because you liked comics and hockey, and you were like, like I always say this to you. I know you probably think I'm dumb, but like you're like a hockey legend to me, right? So like it's really weird to be talking to you because I'm like he's the eye on the prize guy. Like he's a sports net guy. Like he's a big friggin' deal. It's, it's Andrew. Like we get to talk like friends and we're friends. And like, but like you like the comic stuff. And like, that's where I connected with like Dave Stubbs. That's how I got to know him is through the comic stuff. And like you and like, that's, um, I feel like friendships is born through the you're like me. And I think there's something really pure about that. And like you and I just kind of became friends. Like it's kind of weird, right? Like we're just like, I'm in Montreal. Let's meet up. You're like, I'm going to meet up with my random friend and buddy from Twitter. Let me also invite my wife and his wife. How bad could this be? Spoiler. It could be terrible, <laughs> but like it, it could be really awkward. And we all just get along and have a ton more in common than we realize. And that's just like, I do think all friendships and all relationships that matter have that. Like you're like me part of it. And I just think like saying it out loud though, was again, part of like, whether you're a woman, whether you're non-white, no matter you're young or old, or uh, Nicolas Cage from the 30s, like you're... <laughs> Punching um, Nazis. Yeah, yeah, like you're... What makes you alike is what matters. 
Like they're not like you're like me, but you're black and white. You're and, and actually enough, they do point out the black and white. We're not like you're like me, but it's like you're like me. And there was never and there was always a moment to rest on it. And then you got the origin stories. Yeah, like, there was and, never a qualifier there. And I feel like it was also like that the immediate acceptance as well. It was like you're like me. Yeah, Stick around yeah. a little bit. I'll teach you the ropes. And yeah, like, yeah. There, there was no There's questioning that. of anything. It was just like, all right, you're going to be Spider Man too. Let's do it. I know this would sound weird because in Canada it's different. Um, I think I can speak to this. It's like when I meet a hockey fan in the States, um, I do get a bit of that. Like we automatically will bond for a second. We may, may not get along, especially if it's like Philly or Boston. But like, and I'll use LA as a great example. I, I saw, um, I see some guy with a hat set. I'm like, yo, go have to go. And he's like, you too? And I'm like, yeah, and we just talk, right, for a sec. And it's like, it's, you bond automatically. There's people in this office, a bunch of us went to the Pride Night game and, um, yeah, LA Kings had against the Predators. I, of course, cheered for the Predators because PK forever. He worked. I got to work him in every podcast. <laughs> and he's, uh, and it was like, we're all in this office. Like we, we're all different age groups, different experiences, different backgrounds, but we all love hockey. And that's all. And like, we're like, let's just, let's just go see hockey together. And like, it bonds you in a different way. You get to talk about different things. And like, we had some people who were just getting to learn hockey. And I was explaining what a five hole is. They thought it was a made up term. And like, and it was just explaining like the rules of hockey and how things work. And like, we're bonded by comics, but you realize how much more we're alike because like, oh yeah, we kind of love this sport too. And uh, I think those are the great things in life, man. And I think it's a good reminder of like, we focus so much on how we're different. And I do think we have to acknowledge how we're different, but I do think sometimes we forget how much we're alike when you, when you go to the basics, we all kind of want the same things. And I think if we remembered that more often, we'd all get along more. That's a great message. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you, but, you know, it's, it's also, um, I think it's a different era. Like, I, you know, if this movie had been made eight, ten years ago, you wouldn't have had people being as tolerant, I think, of, uh, of Miles being Spider-Man, right? You, I, I'm not saying it would have been the exact Michael Clark, Michael Clark Duncan effect, because Miles is canonically with this. But you would have still had people having a very different perspective, and I think you didn't. You had less of those people coming out of the woodworks, uh, at least from what I saw in this movie. I think that's really important to um, uh, to show, like, for all the darkness we see in our culture these days. Like, like I said, this movie gets to exist, and we have an entire generation of kids who are going to be better than us. Who are going to be like, yes, yeah, Spider-Man's all these things. Where we don't have to think in binary terms. We don't think about gender binary terms. We don't think about our heroes in binary terms. Um, and I think that is, this movie is going to be part of such a big change for people in the future. And I, I think everyone involved with it should be so immensely proud. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic. Um, I was going to mention something else, but now I forget what it was. That sucks. Oh, well. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to so say, like, uh, we, we talked about before, I don't know if we mentioned on the podcast, but uh, you were working at Marvel when Miles was created. And we, we've been talking about like how great this movie is for you know mainstreaming Miles, uh, not just in comics but outside of it. And I know Miles is, is a successful character, regardless. But I feel like this takes him to the next level, having you know a blockbuster movie made about him. Now, obviously, when Miles Morales was created, there was no complaints, right? Everyone really loved it right away. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone was Miles very accepting. Yeah, you, you know America, uh, <laughs> land of the free, home of the brave, intolerant. Uh, uh, and we're, um, you know, Miles is an important character to me. Like I'm a, I was, I'm a publicity guy, right, marketing guy. 
So I, I also want to be clear, like, I'm not saying I have ownership of any of these characters in the way that the people, editors or the writers, artists, inkers, colorists, letters have on these characters. But I will say Miles is a character where working with Brian Trude at USA Today reporter there, we broke the news of Miles Morales being Spider-Man on the front page of USA Today. Not the front of the life section, the front page of USA Today. And I can't tell you for comics, especially then, um, even if it was in the, or, you know, in around, it, it was, it wasn't that long ago, I'll say 2011, maybe uh, 2010, but like that was still a giant, like comics didn't end up in that space, not just comics, comic movies, sure, but it's hard to get comics there. And like, let me applaud our friends here in LA uh, at DC who had like EW do a photo shoot of when they relaunched the Sandman universe last year. That's gigantic, right? Like when those kind of big things happen, um, that is, it's something you, you, you immediately feel different about the characters involved. And like Brian Bendis is a, is a dear friend of mine. I think the world of him, he's one of the really good guys you're going to meet in comics. Um, you know, I mentioned panic, the editor, he's, he's a great friend and his, um, his wife is an incredible woman. His kids are amazing. Um, Sana is a really good friend. She taught me the dance. I did uh, the, the uh, dance choreography for my wedding. Uh, we did a uh, Gangnam style and some other song. I forget what it was, but we danced to those. Um, I did it with my groomsmen, uh, surprised Michelle at our wedding and, um, she's a great friend and like, and Joe Casada has also been really good to me. And I, and I'm not doing that to name drop. I'm saying like everyone involved in this book, I felt really strongly about, and it meant a lot to me to have a non-white character like this that we're promoting so big. And look, it then took a life of its own. Wall Street, the uh, Washington Post, and Wall Street journals were doing op-ed. Cole, Stephen Colbert, when he had a show, was doing entire episodes about this. Like, I can't tell you how much media was coming into the office every day like ABC and yes, we were part of Disney, but we didn't have to call ABC. They came to us, CNN, all these networks, either calling Axel Alonso, editor in chief to talk to him or talk to Joe Casada or calling Brian Bendis. Like this was a true cultural touch point. And I'm proud to say I shepherded that uh, press campaign along with James Viscardi, who used to work for me there. He runs a site that if you're a geek, you know, it's called comic book.com. And he runs that site now. Um, He's a dear friend, and two of us ran that PR campaign, and it was fantastic. Um, we later had a portion of the PR campaign where we actually worked specifically with Spanish language uh, net, uh, outlets to get this message out to them as well. Now, the day we announced this, um, I received I was receiving calls, and so the first call would be like, "Hey, so I heard, I heard you killed Peter Parker," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. What issue is it?" I'm like, "Okay, here you go. Cool. Those are fine calls." He calls to get forward to me from the front desk. And I next call back. So um, I'm like, hey, uh, um, you know, thanks for calling Marvel. This is Arun. How can I help you? And they're like, Arun? What kind of name is that? And I don't know what accent I'm doing. I know. But like, they'd be like, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, why do you hate white people so much? And why do you have to kill us off for black people? I'm like, well, this Peter Parker's dead in this universe. And Peter Parker's still alive. And he's Spider-Man. And they're like, Yeah but you think it's okay to kill white people? And I'm like, uh, hey, look, man, I don't think we can have this conversation. Like, well, of course, your name's, they could say, they say urine or like whatever that means. And I'm like, cool, like we're just not having this conversation. I'd have to hang up on them. The thing you have to learn when you're in publicity or in marketing, these people are baiting you and they're probably recording the call. Yeah. Because they're probably going to post it somewhere and you, and there, this is a coordinated campaign. I have to be honest. Like I've been, I've dealt with the coordinated million moms calling and all these. This is a coordinated campaign of racists who are calling our offices trying to get us to change our behavior. And so, 
I've let our PR agency know, the great folks at Dan Clores Communications, Jeff Klein being our contact there. I let the right executives know. Um, and and then I like went up to Dan Buckley, whose office is next to me. He's the president and publisher of Marvel. At the time, he's just president of Marvel now. He's, he's, he's a great dude. He's like, Dan, I'm going to unplug my phone. He's like, what? I go, I'm tired of racist calls. I've taken enough of them today. I'm just unplugging my phone. They're going to go to voicemail. He watched like, okay. And so I did that. I'm, I, I'm not going to say people might say I was being a coward, but you know what? It, it, after a while, you think you're going to be okay with it, and like the the sheer volume of racism, it does get to you, man. It breaks you, and you don't realize it until you start talking about it, and then you realize, like I did that day, I was yelling and I had tears coming out of my eyes, not because I was like sobbing, because I was so fucking angry. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I can't swear, right? No, you can hey. swear. It's fine. Okay, cool. Um, because I was so angry, and like again, I hope, and you know what I mean when I say this. If you're not person of color you don't understand how that racism feels much like you and i can't understand how the cat calling feels for our wives when we deal with that right like we just don't understand and i think it's okay for us to admit like we don't understand that stuff and i'm just saying like it hits you and it tears open old wounds that like i've talked about some of this on twitter if you guys follow me on twitter but like it's uh like those old wounds man they never close they don't. Not that you stay angry for your whole life or you blame every like white person for what some dumb kids in your youth did. But like those wounds don't close, man. You're you're all gonna end like this stuff dragged up because it started first becoming about racist being mad and then it became about um, attacking me as a human being. And like I don't know what to do with that. Um, it's because it's it's just crappy. And so uh, you know, man, I, I went. Uh, we, we sold a lot of the book. It did really well for us. Obviously, Miles in great hands. Um, I should say, if you want to read the Miles Morales comics, there are collections of that of his adventures. But um, they eventually merged the Ultimate Universe and the Marvel Universe, and it sounds more complicated than it is. But uh, writer Saladin Ahmed recently launched a new Miles Morales series. Excuse me, you can just pick it up and start there. It's like on the second issue or third issue. I'd recommend doing that. But like you know, it's a really important character in the Like yeah, that was that part of it and the racial part of it like dude i you once you deal with it man it changes a lot of like i never dealt with that kind of racism in that job right and i I think we were going through the obama era of things and we all got um we thought the country was in a different place and this was one of those reminders to me that there was still a lot of work to do and uh man it was um it was a wake-up call but it helped me with other things down the road like when we had a gay superhero wedding when people realized we had a young Avengers team and there were gay characters and decided to call about that, you know, people, it helped a lot to learn how to deal with them. Cause I realized they were recording my calls. They were trying to get me angry because that's what they were doing. And they wanted me to get mad so that they can post about like the look at the people of Marvel who hate middle America. Cause that's what they were trying to get to. And, um, so like, it's cool to me to see this mild in this movie. And like, I don't, I think not working at Marvel, I don't quite feel the same sense of like, pride or ownership of the character I might have felt even as a publicist because I've moved on to other things. Um, but I all like Miles Morales. Um, there's a character called Red Hulk. There's a few characters that will have like a real special place in my heart forever. And uh, because of the people who worked on them, the time, everything we accomplished. And like, you know, that is, um, uh, yeah, he's special. So thank you for letting me tell the story. I know like we joke about me rambling on too long uh, about many things, but this is one that I do think like, it's good for people to realize like these things when they happen, there's a lot of people who take a lot of crap from them and you may not realize like you're one of the good ones. Like you, Andrew's one of the good ones. People listen to this podcast are the good ones. 
there's a lot of bad actors out there too, man, and people who just have bad intentions. And that's irregardless of race, gender, age, uh, ethnicity, you know, like there's just bad people, man. And I, uh, uh, I think it's, it, that's what helps. That's why it helps so much for this new generation to grow up seeing Miles Morales. You can't take it away from them anymore, dude. It's done. We won. The good guys won. You can't take this away. <laughs> and I think that's, um, I think that's great. That's, that's, the, that's, the, and I think that's the moral of like the story too, right? Like, I love that Miles wins where Peter Parker initially, like, you know, failed. He, he, um, Miles gets knocked down and he finds a way to get back up. And I think that, um, the, the beauty of him fighting Kingpin solo is one who wins, but also like the impressive, like size difference. Like it just works so well. It tells you the, the real underdog story. And I love that. Yeah. And I feel like we're close to wrapping it up here, but I bringing up Kingpin again, I just uh, remembered that something I wanted to mention was the way that uh, Miles does his venom shock at the end was kind of like uh, Aaron yeah. Davis's revenge for being killed, right? Because he did the he yep. taught him about the hay, and I, yeah. I thought that was like shoulder, a really touch. yeah yeah it was like if you're not paying in, like acute attention, you're probably gonna miss why that like choosing to end it that fight that way is important. But uh, I, I really yeah. like that they brought that back. They're, and we've talked about this before. We love callbacks. We're, we're suckers for them. So so I, I really enjoyed that. But, uh, yeah, Into the Spider-Verse, amazing movie. So I loved how, it. So how about this? Why don't, why don't you and I do a quick uh, ranking now that we're here? Why oh, yeah. Rank all Spider-Man movies we're, quick. Through why Spider-Man. We do we're through Spider-Man. We're through Spider-Man. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's get through this. So, okay, I think we agree. What do we agree is the worst one? Okay, so I guess it's overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. So least favorite. Are, are we doing character? Are we doing least favorite anything? Okay, so no, no. I want us to first rank the movies. Oh, rank the movies. Okay. Let's rank the movies, yeah. Um, so like, okay. We're, we're starting from the bottom? Ben. Yeah, like uh, Drake. Okay. The bottom for me is Amazing Spider-Man number one. Amazing Spider-Man number one. I'm going to say uh, Spider-Man number three. Spider-Man three. Okay, keep going. Okay, uh, probably Amazing Spider-Man two. I'm going to say Amazing Spider-Man. Oh God, they're both so bad. Uh, I guess yeah. I'll say Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, that's my second least favorite. Okay, go. Uh, Amazing or Spider-Man three. Okay, I'll say Amazing Spider-Man 2. So <laughs> what a surprise that our bottom, bottom three are the same but in different order. <laughs> yeah. uh, after that is uh, Spider-Man 2000. Oh, really? Okay, this is interesting. Um, yeah, I think I will say... Uh, I'm going to say Spider-Man 2 because of the, the terrible alley scene that sticks to me as such an awful <laughs> lesson. But yeah. Well, yeah. that's going to be controversial. People are going to be upset about that. Uh, oh, I know. They hate me already. Don't worry. Yeah, after Spider-Man, I'll say uh, Venom. I will say, uh, this is where they're all going to hate me. I'm going to say Spider-Man, the original. Yeah. Um, then I'll say Spider-Man 2. I'll say Venom. And then uh, my top two are obviously the most recent two. Uh, it's really tough to pick between the two of them. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they're great for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I think Into the Spider-Verse is number one for me. I think it's slightly above Homecoming. I will say, uh, I Andrew, I think I agree with you. 
I yeah. actually think I, because I'm thinking about what am I going to watch again? I'm going to definitely watch Into the Spider-Verse a few more times. I can't imagine I'm going to watch Homecoming that much, even though I think it's such an amazing film. But I got to be honest, like it's by a hair, right? Like catch me on the day of the week and I can see that changing. Um, but that's like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. And I actually think both the sequels to these movies will probably take the top two spots next time we do this. Yeah, you're you're not wrong, and I'm I'm looking forward yeah. to both. I can't wait for Far From Home. I, I'm really looking that forward to great. Mysterio and uh, yeah. seeing Spider Man dealing with that uh, on his little Euro trip. Uh, I'm man, it's amazing just in the last couple of years how far Spider Man has gone in movies from you know being a consistent source of frustration for like just not getting certain aspects of the character to yeah. all of a sudden, you know, uh, Kevin Feige and his team. And uh, obviously Sony deserves a ton of credit for finally rallying and figuring out what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. And it's not just Peter Parker. Yeah, I know they, they absolutely get it. And I think you cannot understand how important that is. Um, so, okay, let's yeah. Over most favorite, least favorite, overrated, underrated. Uh, you want to start? Uh, sure. So, uh, Overrated, underrated. Overrated is the Sam Raimi trilogy. Overall, is supremely overrated. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say in particular Spider-Man Two, super yeah. overrated because I think I honestly think when the more I watch that movie again, it is such uh, it is such um, there are so many things that betray Spider-Man in that film, and I think. Uh, as much as I love the end scene, I've talked about how much my love of James, all things James Franco in film, obviously off camera, there's some other issues. Um, but uh, on some like in that movie series, especially I love him, but I, I'm really frustrated by when, how they say him turning his back on people is okay. And I actually find what the way he treats, um, the way he treats Mary Jane is super unfair, and that carries into Spider-Man Three when I think he's an abusive character. Yeah, so I, totally I think agree. that is. Um, I think there's a lot wrong with that movie, and I think there's a lot wrong about the ideas of romance and masculinity and about heroism. And I think that movie gets so much wrong, and so I get more angry because everyone venerates it. And I, to this day, will say that movie does not stand up. All right, what's your underrated? Underrated is probably Andrew Garfield with Spider-Man. I think you and I, like, when we went through it, I was surprised how much I actually liked his approach to it. I just think the movies... He, he's like the Timothy Dalton of, uh, of, of, uh, of Spider-Man. Like, he just didn't get the right movies. Like, I, I, I love The Living Daylights. It's a great James Bond movie, but Timothy Dalton was like this cruel Bond, and it wasn't what people were ready for after Roger Moore, even though it was what they were ready for with Daniel Craig. And I feel like if Andrew Garfield got the Tom Holland movies, I don't think he would have been... Like, it would have been right. I think he still looked too old for it. But him and him and Emma Stone were exactly the, like their chemistry was amazing. And I think back to the ice cream scene in amazing Spider-Man two and how cute it is. And like, man, there was something there. And I, and I, I feel for the guy cause he clearly loved being there. So I think he was the most underrated. Okay. Underrated. I'm going to go with, um, I feel like it's just like the, no, you know what? I know what I'm going with. Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. I know people, yeah, people trash her all the time. I feel like, especially in Spider-Man three, she acted the shit out of that movie. She was so good. The, the scene on the bridge. Yeah. She was amazing. You know, and, and we've talked yeah. about James Franco yeah. being great, but uh, I think Kirsten Dunst just gets so overlooked in those movies. She yep. is phenomenal, even if she's not, you know, yeah. the prototypical Mary Jane that I would have cast. She's a great actress. Yeah, 
I guess so. We'll go favorite, least favorite. Uh, what's your favorite thing about uh, all Spider-Man films? I got two words for you. What do you think it is? I have no idea. <laughs> James Franco. Oh, right, I mean, of course. <laughs> I know, you're, I can hear you rolling your eyes. No, I, uh, I don't know no, why I didn't think of that. I, I guess I'm just too <laughs> exhausted. Yeah, it's not, I was trying to figure out a way that it was PK Superman, but it couldn't work it in there. Uh, no, but James Franco really is, like, he's, again, revelation in this, and he is, um, the guy made his career off these things. I mean, freaking weeks, sure, but, like, it's really this, and uh, I just think he made, what I think about the legacy of this, he made Harry Osborn important spider-man again and like obviously the writers do it the producer director but like franco having that energy and being as charismatic as he was man i just think like he probably like that's my jokingly like my favorite thing i will say my honest like i have to get away from my my, my little my little bit here my favorite thing in all these movies is probably uh tom holland because he epitomizes being spider-man right and in a way that is undeniable like I'm not the world's biggest Spider-Man fan, but the Tom Holland Spider-Man is perfect. And like, that is, uh, I look forward to the day we have a live action Tom Holland and a uh, live action Tom Holland. He is live action, <laughs> a live action Tom Holland Spider-Man with a live action Miles Morales on screen. Cause yeah, I think that's, that's going to be amazing seeing them together. That's very interesting to me. I, I, I would love to see, you know, Tom Holland stay in that role into adulthood and actually have yeah. like, a young Miles yeah. Morales uh, worked into it. I yeah. think that would be so so amazing. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm willing uh, to it, wait ten years for it. Well, and I think the story they should use it as much as they can is the Spider-Man PS4 video game, which I don't want to spoil for anyone, but it's not a spoiler to say that Miles Morales is a character in the game. And when you see the way they they weave his story into Peter's, it actually makes them both so much better for it. Yeah. Uh, I can I can only tell you that that game is a fantastic game. I'm not the biggest gamer. Um, it's also probably still the best Spider-Man story I've seen outside of the comics. It is. Uh, have you finished it yet? No, I haven't. No, I haven't had time. Okay, yeah. When you get to the end, you're going to be like, I can't believe they did that. And, and you'll say it's the most honest choice, much in the way there were some choices in Spider-Verse. Where you're like, wow, that's kind of what you had to do, but wow, you did it. And you're going to feel that way when you uh, when you finish this game. It is. And it's the best Mary Jane, and it's like, but you're gonna when you see how Miles and Peter meet in this, it's actually a really good um, template for future uh, stories that they're gonna be in the same universe. That's awesome to hear. I can't wait to to get to that point. Uh, my favorite man, it's it's so it's so tough. I, I feel like especially we've been spoiled lately. There are so many yeah. moments that are that are so good. Um, oh man, I, I love Tom Holland. I'm with you on that. I'm just trying to think if maybe I like a moment in the Spider-Verse more than something in Homecoming. I, you know what? No. My favorite Spider-Man moment in all of these Spider-Man movies is the uh, the scene where Peter in Homecoming has to wrench himself out from under the rubble. Uh, the, the callback oh. to uh, that famous moment in, from the comics. I just... That is the most quintessentially spider-man yeah. thing and i just I, I love it that he has to like psych himself up and become spider-man i i love those moments i, I live for peter parker realizing that he's bigger and more powerful than he thought he was and he is spider-man i i love that i i would say like the one i think my favorite moment in that film so we're talking about it is still the 
uh, stuff in the car and like that one moment where the red light goes to a green light and mm-hmm. Michael Keaton realizes who he this guy is and it's just like the everything about that scene the way they build up the tension the way he's you know you talk about it too like the way he's like oh yeah 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 that's cool when Liz is trying to show him the photos or talking to him about something yeah his, his fake like, laugh <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 like it's so oh it's so that film man that film um okay so least favorite what's your least favorite least favorite this is like i've been trying to think about this the whole time we've been talking about <laughs> like breaking this down and like what am i gonna, what am i gonna choose and it's a real tough tough one for me between awful peter parker and amazing spider-man and awful peter parker in uh the raimi movies but yeah. It has to go to Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker because yep. it's a through line over three movies that they never corrected that he is a petulant, emotionally abusive child who is just yeah. mean-spirited. And there are moments where he does heroic things as Spider-Man, but as Peter, he's just a shitty person. Yep, I agree with you, man. I could not agree with you more. He is a, he is a bad, bad person. And uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it blows me away how how much they got it wrong and how much we all loved it at the time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I I'm gonna try to find a different one, and I will say my least favorite moment is Bernard the the plot oh, device God. Butler who could have. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> could have just said it earlier, Bernard. What are you doing? And also that he's called Bernard, like not because I'm sure it's a valid name. I'm not name shaming. I'm just saying any any version of that would be Bernard. And so Bernard just is like such a very specific pronunciation. I, I hope I'm that was just a James Franco ad lib. Yeah, he like Bernard. read it wrong like, I, in the script. He's like Bernard. Okay, no. Oh, I know. Or you, you know, Jay Franco probably did that on purpose because he's like, oh, Bernard. That'd be an interesting way of saying it. My character is interesting. <laughs> um, uh, but he's like, yeah, Bernard was the worst because he's like. Yeah, just the worst. So anyway, that's. Uh, I think we can definitely um, uh, agree on that. My runner-up is Dennis Leary's Captain Stacy telling Peter Parker to be awful to his daughter. Oh, but God, uh, like so <laughs> unnecessary as well. And how the the broken promise yeah. after like thirty seconds. God, that <laughs> oh, pisses yeah. me off so much. Still to this day. But those, are, but those are the best kind. Yeah, I know. It's like you made a <laughs> promise to a dying man, and you're like, yeah, it's the best kind to break the promise to the dying man. <laughs> to be your fucking father. Oh, it's like the only movie that's clear to be tone deaf as Man of Steel was about the death. Um, oh God. So, uh, so like, what do you want? What do you want to do next? I do. I do. I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share, and maybe people can get back to us. But did you have a specific next thing? I mean, the easiest thing would probably be uh, going straight into Thor because I think those movies are easily available, and uh, we probably have lots to say about them. But uh, I feel like if we were to do that, part of the reason we would want to talk about it would be uh, to talk about specifically Loki's arc. Because I think we have a very different opinion of how that went about in the MCU. So I think we'd have to rope Mm -hmm. in the Avengers and Infinity War into that. So I don't know if we're willing to go that route or if we want to do... (laughs) something else entirely because i feel like avengers we probably should do age of ultron as well so that's a lot to take on there's so i'm gonna throw some ideas out there there's captain marvel which we both just saw mm-hmm. there is you, you might want to see it again and maybe wait for home video and i'm totally with you on that i think there's the ant-man films um 
there is uh, I, I'm not kidding when I say like if we do the director's cut of Daredevil on the Affleck film that could be something uh, we also have not talked Aquaman yet which I'm very much uh, down for you know what let's do Aquaman because I've, I've seen that yeah. recently and I feel like that's we haven't done a DC movie in a long while yeah, I think I think because I and I think in, in fairness to everybody, Andrew and I are aware that we watch a lot of movies. We spent um, a good we spent a good five of these Spider Man co- podcasts not being very high on the films, and so I think we've counterbalanced it with the last few where we've been fairly positive. Even Venom was fairly positive, and so um, I think it'll be good for us to switch to uh, the DC films, which we've typically been a bit more down on, and have a conversation about those. And I think. Uh, Aquaman is interesting because of how incredibly successful that film has been um, and to have a conversation about it. And I think uh, people will continue to be disappointed in me when I explain my reaction to that film. But uh, (laughs) it is is like, uh, I think that's good. And the other one that I'm going to throw to you is a curveball, Andrew, that I don't know if you've seen yet is Bumblebee. Yeah, actually, I've I've been told by a few people to go see Bumblebee or to to see. I think it's on home video now. I have the movie ready to be watched. I just haven't watched it yet. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it because from what I've heard, uh, for the first time, they actually nailed Transformers. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the teaser, guys, and this is going through the whole film. If you have ever had any, any interest in Transformers, those first 10 minutes are all the movie you ever need, and there happens to be like another hour and 45 minutes of uh, a movie worth watching as well. So... Uh, I'm going to tell you that I don't have it in me to do the uh, original Michael Bay Transformers movie. No. Man, I'm sorry. I don't I don't have it in me. I, um, I can I can watch is... like if if I had to, I can watch the first Michael Bay Transformers movie, but after that, the other ones, uh the second and third one, I have watched them once before. Both times Kish and I sat down, got drunk just to watch <laughs> them, and I live tweeted them because they are so bad. That it's like an event to experience yeah. something that bad. It's like it's before so bad it's good. It's just unenjoyable in every possible way. Yep. So uh, I, I look forward to a Transformers movie that's actually fun. Yeah. So we got Aquaman and Bumblebee, but I think again, if anybody has any um, uh, any uh, has any requests, uh, let us know. And also to remind people that I am uh, giving away copies of WWE Forever Number One, which is my comic book writing debut with the origin of Money Incorporated. It's a short story and a wonderful issue with other great stories. Uh, if you uh, if you're interested in a copy, make sure you submit your name to Andrew and myself on Twitter. Uh, let us know who your favorite Spider-Man was, and we'll be picking people at random to receive uh, copies of the issue, and I'll sign them out to you so you have that. Um, and but yeah, I mean. I also want to say, like, thanks everybody on Twitter who gets so excited every time we post these. It's actually really cool to see. Yeah, well, a special shout out to Tony Ferrari who uh, yeah. has been such a great supporter of the podcast and such a great supporter of my work. He's the the nicest guy ever. Uh, he's he's just awesome. So I hope he gets a kick out of a little shout out because uh, he deserves it. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, I'm gonna let's definitely post on Twitter about the giveaway for the comics as well because I feel like we mentioned at the very end of the last podcast, and if yeah, yeah, people yeah. haven't gotten around to listening to the very end of it, uh, just we'll put it out in a couple tweets so that people understand uh, that it's actually yeah. going to happen. Yes, absolutely. So no, this is much fun. Man. I'm glad we got. I'm glad we got happy podcast. Happy Andrew, happy Marie is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you could watch this movie and not be happy. I think that's the uh, best yeah. part about it. It'll be broken, but. All right, man. Good times. 
All right, we'll uh, we'll come back next week with Aquaman. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Andrew Berkshire and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Berkshire, follow Arun at A-R-U-N-E, and check out the podcast website at andrewberkshire.tumblr.com.